For the latest news covering the entire tabletop role-playing industry, turn to Roleplayers Chronicle at roleplayerschronicle.com. Russ Bain with Roleplaying Public Radio, where this is RPPR episode 76, GM with a thousand plot hooks. And with me, as always, is Tom Church and special special guest Thad. That, well, that sounds like you had to force that out of your mouth, that yes. title. Yeah. It was like, like it was, it's kind of like, and now we have... Do you need like a lozenge or something? It's like molasses. Probably. I probably That was like molasses coming out of your mouth. Yes, Tom. Thank you so much. Because that happens um, all the time. I know. Molasses comes out of his mouth. I've always wondered about that. Yes. Uh, so in this episode, we're going to be talking about campaign structure, uh, just sort of reflections on the campaigns we've been running here at RPPR uh, versus the ones we want, run, want to run in the future. And uh, so, and of course, some, we're going to have Thad here as a guest because he hasn't mm-hmm. been on the, the main podcast before, but I yes. know he's a, a fan favorite uh, for a lot of people. And we yes, wanted, to, we the one wanted who to get his input on some stuff before he goes off to China, which is the, yes. the news. So. The hell with so, you people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Hi, I'm I'm leaving the country. So it was nice talking to you guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then once the the actual plays catch up in a year when I get back, then, you know. Yeah. That, so you're going off to teach English in Chengdu, China for yes. a year? Qingdao or Qingdao, it's said. Qingdao, that's, probably. That's how I keep hearing people uh, say That it. is the uh, place where Tsingtao beer is made. That was the old uh, romanization of that, that place. So... Uh, there's yeah. a lot of that's breweries what, there. There's that's what people keep telling me, which is great because that means they're sending someone who doesn't drink to a beer yeah. city, which is so I find just great. Yeah. <laughs> Suck it, people who would rather be there. Well, it's supposed to be a great place. Yeah, so, no, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty psyched. Yeah. Um, so we will. I uh, don't drink. Yes. So we are going to okay. – <laughs> uh, so in other news, we're going to be at Gen Con in a few weeks. That's a little under three weeks from now. And uh, we'll do a pre-Gen Con episode as we usually do. But uh, this time, uh, I just want to give you guys the RPPR meetup. For those of you who are going to actually be at Gen Con, will be on the Thursday of Gen Con, uh, 6 p.m. at the NBC Suites. And we're going to be playing Kill Splosion. The, uh, so if you want your own kill explosion character, go ahead and bring it. I will make pre-gens for everyone, uh, for up to a dozen players. Um, I have some ideas for how to manage that many players. You'll have to kill them all. Yes, and uh, we'll see how well that works out. Uh, so the there's a lot of games there, and uh, it will be pretty exciting. So um, My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. So, uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about campaign structure. And, yeah, as Caleb right now is finishing up No Evil, and, of course, you guys won't be listening to that for a while now because uh, <laughs> we're a little behind, we, I've been thinking about the, the a structure. A little, that's rich. A little, yeah. Uh, in, our, in true RPPR uh, fashion, we casket age all of the episodes for years <laughs> on end before releasing them to the public. <laughs> by, the time we re- by the time we finish it, the fall will have happened. <laughs> That's a good possibility. Uh, but thinking about like how Caleb structured his campaign and how I've structured the two primary campaigns of the that I've run, which is the New World D&D campaign and the Heroes of New Arcadia, the Wild Talents campaign, the superhero campaign, uh, it's interesting to think about like how we did that and how you can structure a campaign and sort of think about what 
what to do, like what in terms of dramatic, the, the central dramatic question. And by that, I mean, what is the, the, the main campaign about? And uh, to use a comparison, I mean, you can't compare campaigns to movies because their movies are pretty like specific, but you can compare them, I think, to uh, a TV series, like a long-running TV series, a drama series. So like in Twin Peaks, the central dramatic question is, who killed Laura Palmer? That's a pretty specific one. But they would like to know that. I, yeah. I, it's, great, it's a great question. Yeah. Uh, but as opposed to uh, another example would be uh, another mystery show would be The X-Files. And that, that question is a little more nebulous, but it's, you know, what is the truth behind the alien conspiracy theory, you know? And also there are stretchy people and monsters and things. Right. And bees. Bees. <laughs> and oh, bees. Yeah, covered in bees. Oh, yeah. Right. Bees. So what is the difference between these and... Uh, what does this mean for running a role playing game? So, when you know, I was doing the starting out with the the these campaigns. I, I wanted to do sandbox campaigns. I wanted to give players a lot of options. And sort of the dramatic question I think for both of them is like, how do you want to shape the world? You know, how do you want to change it? Uh, certainly, very much in the Heroes of New Arcadia towards the end. And so, I don't know. But when you guys run campaigns, what do you usually think of or run a game? Or how how often am I with the dramatic questions? Or well. Actually, the central question you, most of the games I've, most of the campaigns I have run is this villain wants to do X, the players have to stop it. Okay. And, you know, it, or like you know, the villain has this long distance plan set in motion, and the players encounter him in the early stages and work for, throughout the campaign to stop him. Okay. And the climax finally comes when that plan is just about to be put in motion. Okay. So it's very in terms of structure. I mean, um, that reminds me in a lot of ways of like I would say Saturday morning cartoons, but like a lot of that sort of like young adult or children's heroic literature, where it's a you know it's a very reactive kind of thing. Like, in spe- I mean, I, it, everything from like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to Inspector Gadget to like. Uh, I mean, help me out. There's Next like time gadget, right? There's Next there's the bad time. guy, or like or superhero it's comics, like, like yeah, Superman. Yeah. It's like Doctor Claw. You've been at this for like years, and it's always next time. It's really never going to happen. I, I like to remain an optimist. Prima team, dude. I might clear that up. <laughs> so, like in your campaign, like you, you specifically mentioned, Tom, that the 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 PCs run into the villain early on. Yeah. Is that, so that's it's usually the villain in a weaker state than he's going to be. Okay, yeah. but like the villain has to survive, obviously. So you, yeah, you you engineer it so that there's an encounter without the possibility of the PCs just taking him out. Yes, and uh, normally old rug pull. And uh, yeah, I know actually, but I don't give them a way. I, I don't set them on the path. They choose the path they want to take him out. But that's the question: How do you take them out? You yeah. Know? Uh, so what kind of quite like dilemmas do you like how what, how far you're willing to go or whether you or just the approach whether you want to just fight him or trick him or I mean you essentially me. a lot of it is um, the things a lot of the play, my players like to do is okay it's like actually gathering resources to them is one of the most fun things for them okay essentially the, you know they like like oh dude was it, like we have we have this villain he's like there's no way we can stop him on our own like we're we're gonna need a team dude. Okay. We're going to need a team. We're going to need it's like we're going to need resources. We're going to need patrons to pay for it because that's just how we roll. Right. So that pretty much they're, the most fun thing for them is convincing other more powerful people to not fight with them. Mm-hmm. It's never that. It's 
but to help them and support them. Okay. It's, you know, especially, like, okay, like my Gargoyles campaign, which is the longest campaign I've ever run, which went over on for three years, it was, and I had canon characters to work with then, is really getting their help, not their help to, for, so they could fight, not getting them to fight for them. Okay. There's a very specific line drawn. And it's that the players would not appreciate if, like, hey, well, let's just get the canon big-name characters in the show to fight our battle for us. They never wanted to do that. The players didn't. The players didn't. So you, even if um, a canon character was in there that would logically want to fight, you know, like someone who's just like a guy who just likes fighting, you know, for example, you had to figure out some reason why he wouldn't fight in this particular battle? Yeah, and the, actually the best thing I did was... I, I love to engineer battles where it wasn't like you had to, some. There had to be two groups. Yeah. So there was always a way that okay, like Goliath in the case of Gargoyles, he had to go fight over here to what I would say would be the slightly less important but more immediate problem. Right. You have to go fight this seemingly less important but turns out far more important battle over here. Okay. All right, so that's an interesting. Um, so, Thad, what do you like? I know you. I don't. Uh, in I've, fact, we don't know what your experience is. I mean, true. I know you mentioned a little bit. My, about it. my past is shrouded in mystery. Yeah. Um, I've run two games in my entire life uh, because I just I had a couple of friends who would basically be the ones who would run games, and so right. like there'd be a filler night, and one of us would just throw something together. I've run. I ran a horror game that I literally just made up off the top of my head. And it was very much, hey, I just played Silent Hill for the first time. Let's make weird shit and alternate reality and screw up things. Right, right. Uh, and so that one was really just the, the good old-fashioned, why the hell is everything going bananas? Right. And then the other one, I, I started, uh, when I first got uh, Spirit of the Century, I tried to put put like uh, I was gonna try and put a campaign together with some friends, and I got to run one game of it, and then everyone moved to different states. That's I how don't, much they hate. I don't it. think your game of, caused that. I don't think because of me. Although two of them did move to Europe, so uh, I don't know. But and that one was uh, much. I mean, that one was really just sort of. It was going to be an episodic, like superhero comic type thing. Let's let's go on pulp adventures. So, adventure like, of the I've, week. So. Yeah, I've I've never really written like a, a campaign before. I've only ever done just sort of. Well, we've got some people. Let's throw questions and strangeness at them and have them either run away in horror as you know blood soaked nightmares shamble after them or punch it with square jawed justice. Right. So that's I mean that's a that's a good I mean that, that's a good point in that your campaign doesn't have to have like an overarching like this is the this is my master story or whatever. I mean mm-hmm. it can just be like we're gonna get together and punch evil in the dick, you know. <laughs> like there's nothing wrong with that. Like No. I would punch um, evil in the dick every day if I had the choice. Well, who wouldn't? Well, because those guys, they're evil, and yeah. they need to be punched in the dick. So It's actually a really easy way of ferreting out evil. Hey, would you punch evil in the dick? No? Yeah. You, you were evil. Oh. That's a great filter for it. So, um, But, I mean, it, it, trying to think about, like, in terms of, like, what's the most memorable, memorable games, what are your most memorable times in uh, a role-playing game? They tend to be, like, the things that build up. Like, there's a lot of time and investment in this and oh, yeah. it kind of it kind of just kind of works out that way so i mean how do you the question is how do you get this uh from point a to point b like how do you set this up in the beginning um because i think you know what i what i'm for me my challenge is not doing a sandbox campaign is the next 
thing I do, the next big campaign I do. Because I've done that twice now in very mm. similar kind of genres. Like, I think, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons is very much in the, like, heroic literature and is very much very uh, close superhero the superhero genre is very much like that as well so like they're both kind of like you know heroes that overcome great adversity and they 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 solve great problems and they make everything happy ever after more or less you know um it's always building up from oh you're the normal or perhaps even the street level guy yeah. oh, and you and then you build a ragtag up, band of, out, of misfits yeah yeah and eventually oh we're altering the fate of the world yeah so i want to do something different i want to do something like instead By of, like, that's exactly how my campaigns go yeah the players always start as minor characters in whatever world i'm in yeah and they slowly rise to uh you know the most, some of the most powerful people in the world. The character rises. A <laughs> <laughs> bane for those of you who have not watched The Dark Knight Rises. I'm working uh, on my bane voice. Shut up. It, he's just he's clarifying it. it. He's going to use it for teaching purposes. I don't know. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, that'll really help students in China understand me. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Uh, <laughs> Annunciation. So... Um, the the central dilemma is, um, you know, for me, like, how do I avoid doing that kind of thing? Because, like, there's nothing wrong with having a great rise, you know, like going from rags to rich, you know, rags to supreme badass of the universe from mm-hmm. Super Saiyan or whatever. To, like, for, to, from, mean, from wooden sword to, like, bunkai, bleach, giant, yeah, powerful yeah, mass sword. Immune, yeah. The big Goron sword. Yeah. So, I mean, there's nothing the wrong with that. But, sword. like, I want to do something different. Because if you look at, like, some of the best... TV series, some of the best episode, like long, long narrative arc stories out there, they're very much more focused on like character studies, or they're very much focused on how people survive in a world that they can't change. And that's sort of the reality of the universe is that you can't just, you might be able to change something, but you're not going to change everything. See, I think that's your problem, Ross. You're just too optimistic about individuals' power to affect anything. You need to just give up. Realize that they just have to live their daily lives ground to death by the unfeeling universe. You haven't even been to China yet. Why are you all ground up and disappointed yet? Like, you haven't even, you don't even know. Uh, no, I'm, I'm disappointed in everything. I just oh, start I there. I see how it is. It's a, but, it's a much shorter journey. I mean, like, I just started watching that. And don't spoil it for me because I've only watched a couple episodes so far of Breaking Bad. Oh, and that's very much I've, like, I've seen like one episode so. yeah it's very much well I'm more of the listeners out there one will probably have like a huge discussion. oh yeah well I, yeah. I, I realize that I'm a terrible person for only having seen one episode yeah but like it's I've very much a character two. study it's oh. about like how this chemist this high school teacher becomes starts cooking meth and starts like in getting people killed you know like that's in the first episode you know the, the so that's not really a spoiler so how did and that that the whole series follows him and how he changes and like how would you do that in a role playing game? Would you want to do that? Not necessarily like a negative arc where you go from average to fucking the pits of hell, but that I mean that could be I, I don't know I don't know. There's the one of the main things that pops into my head for that is you really need to trust your players not to be not to just derail things and make things insane because I mean if they're character focused things yeah and you have like a player who just like constantly wants to make it all about them and like derails other people's plots and things. I feel like that could be a, like a well, if you have, a, if you have a bad player, you have a bad player. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing you can really do. But, I mean, that. I think like in that situation though, if you're making it a smaller sort of, you know, these characters against the world store, I think the, the bad player problem would 
come to the limelight faster, I guess. Well, it's not even like characters versus the world because that still kind of implies a certain thing. Like, mm. I mean, Breaking Bad, it's not the character versus the world. I mean, the world exists. It is. He, he just does. can't win. Well, I mean, he's just like, I'm going to go into this new world. I'm a fish out of water and I'm going to do this because I need the money and I need it now. Mm. And he's basically got some anger issues if you think about it. I mean, he really does. Like, a normal person doesn't decide, like, I'm going to, oh, lung cancer? Well, fuck it. I'm going to, like, go. Oh, just because you don't solve all problems with cooking math means that's abnormal. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, uh, or the other thing, like, again, going back to Twin Peaks, I mean, there's this central mystery. Everyone's consumed with it. There's there's so much drama about it. But it does solving that mystery isn't going to fundamentally change everything. Mm-hmm. It's not even going to, like, it might not even change Twin Peaks itself. I mean, it, it might. it's not like the town's going to burn to the ground or become a utopia if that murder is solved, you know. It's just like, oh, yeah, there, some people will go to jail. Some people will be you know, have some closure, but that's it, you know? So the greater, the question's more like, what are you, so how do you, what do you want to do? Like, what, what is the focus of your campaign? Like, do you want to just focus on very, very inwardly focused, you know, breaking bad? Do you want to have this one mystery that's still very complex and difficult, uh, or not, but solving it isn't going to change everything. Or do you want something like Tom? There's a mystery, and solving it will change everything because if you don't, the world will be ruined. If you do it, you, the world will be saved, right? I mean, that those are the stakes in your kind of games, right? It's not like, yeah, you, it's X Files, not Twin Peaks. Normally, yeah, like my the group I play with with that with that stuff, they like they kind of like to uh, you know change the world, right? That's kind of their thing. I've I've done some shorter stuff where it's more. Uh, you know, just a campaign. Literally, I had a cross country campaign. Is literally take a package from you know San Francisco to New York, hmm. and you know people are. It was a ninjas and super spies game. Yeah, if you remember that from Palladium, and all that was was simply you know they would they go around and every, like every town they stopped by, someone was trying to steal it from them. Right, and by the time they got it there, they hadn't really changed. Just. Right. We've now we're, we've now crossed the country. We've killed several dozen people. I handed off a briefcase, and that's it. That's all we've that's all we've done. They, they I've tried a few of those, but those are usually much shorter. Okay. The long term stuff, like the years long stuff, starts. Yeah, they're just residents. Like in the Gargoyles game, they started as like just residents of this mountaintop village in Romania. Right. And by the time they were done, they were li- they were dealing with hell, heaven. Right. And, I mean, there are shows like that as well. Like Lost, I think, is the best example. Because it first starts out, you're on an island. Your plane crashed. How do you survive? How do you get off the island? And, of course, there are immediate mysteries to figure out. You know, mm-hmm. there's the number station that's broadcasting. The guy could walk. You know, what is going on? What's the smoke monster or whatever? What's that thing in the distance? But as the season progresses, you know, like as the show progresses, th- those mysteries get unsolved. New mysteries with broader implications. You know, like, oh, this is what – this is the radio station broadcasting those numbers. But, hey, this it's been around for decades. There's obviously some sort of civilization on this island because – there's fucking radio stations and power sources and what the hell's going on, you know, so it goes on and on and on and on until it becomes literally the fate of the world. Like if this cosmic force isn't, you know, protected, shit's going to get really bad, you know? Whee! Yeah. So whether or not you hate the ending, I mean, that's kind of like the, the sort of progression going from very small stakes. I mean, that's the thing with like, you know, they, it's a basic storytelling thing, like raise the stakes, you know, you have to make things matter, but like what matters? I mean, like, again, for another example would be like Battlestar Galactica versus Firefly. 
in battle. Like both of those stakes, you know, are very important for the people. humanity rests in the balance in Battlestar Galactica. And yeah, every day in a very real way. Yeah, in a very real way. And so there's a lot of tension and a lot of like conflict in there. But does that mean that the conflict of Firefly is less important? Mm-hmm. I mean, do we not care about that? We still care about those. The, the said, crew well, their of, focus is get cargo, keep flying. Well, not and also not to and it's also about their ideals too. You know, like they have to be true to themselves. They can't like remain free. Damn the man. Right, and they, they're basically a surrogate family too. You know, they have to protect one another. Um, so, I guess one of the one of the sort of floating questions that comes up when you to me if you're trying to run a game that's it's less about the you know fate of the world and all that is dealing with how characters progress sort of in a mechanical way. Yeah. Because I mean, power creep will happen, and then suddenly you have people who aren't really deciding the fate of the world, but depending on which system you're playing, after a few months they can punch holes through buildings or whatever. I mean, that's very dependent on system. Yeah. Um, like in Dungeons and Dragons, that's very... It would be, it would be, I feel like it would be very hard to run. Like, like you a, go from being a normal human to basically being a... A demigod. A demigod yeah. because... A you kill enough hero. goblins and it, it doesn't matter whether or not you, you didn't can, mean to be a, an immortal hero, you are one now. You Well, you're just nearly unkillable. You can stop <laughs> I didn't ask for this. <laughs> so you can't like... That would be really weird if you're running like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. You're like, hey, you're in this little village and like you're protecting it or you're like going out and just doing a campaign that, and like seven samurai protect these people just yeah. forever or, or like yeah you all grew up in this village and that's your base and so every adventure you come back to this one village and so like at first like oh so you have subquests like in the beginning it's like oh find the missing cow like all right, all right goblin stole the fucking cow <laughs> you know like all right fine and so like the gm's still trying to do the same thing, kind of thing like 10 levels later and so like Oh, hey, you need to find some herbs for the so Mrs. you know Smith can get like uh make her awesome stew like yeah, her spice rice. I has summon been a gin to find all the herbs. <laughs> I reach my mind out into the ethereal plane and understand all actually, Oh, it's over there. Actually, That's where it is. Actually, I have to I hate to I hate to say it. There's one game system that I've actually done a campaign like that which stayed yeah. local and the stakes stayed the same. It was Rifts. Oh, really? God. Yeah. And somewhere Caleb screams for no reason. Okay, well, it's okay. It's riffs. I the GM actually did I mean, this was like one of like this was like a 10 session game. So I think 10 kind of still kind of counts as a That's campaign. That's a campaign. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. The thing is though he said um trust. Yeah, he said no RCCs, which means yeah, like no no racial character classes. Right. We said but you can play DBs, but you have to choose an OCC. And right. all the DBs uh-huh. had to be like just normal DBs. Right. So we were all like members of this out this you know uh, outpost town, right? And we all started at level one, so we were basically just you know ju- junior militia guys, right? And the threats we faced were basically other low level guys with the same basic kind of stuff we had, and we we were we got up to level nine. He didn't really give experience; just kind of levels as each dim- game did. But the thing is, the threats mer- jumped with us, but were still basically threats that were just threatening this town, right? And we and yes, we again in levels and knowledge and experience, but not really power, because we were because we were OCCs. Right. What changed was our you know our combat skill, our number of attacks and the, the and the dumbass. Well, well, this is this, I mean that's a good that's a good that's a good point, but that's kind of like the same thing we've done. Uh, we talked about this in an earlier episode. Building uh, Romans, uh, Bildungs Roman, the mm-hmm. the oh. character growth. Bildungs Roman. Yeah, Bildungs Roman. Um, 
and that's like the, there there are systems where characters are very static and they don't grow very much, and you just said that, and like uh, and then there are systems where characters are very dynamic and they grow a fuckload between the beginning and end of a you know. Well, the thing is, like, we were still much stronger than we were before. Not, what, and, really? Yeah, re- really. Because I've actually because you don't really, aside from like a couple bonuses, you really are basically the same character level one. Unless you got really good gear, did he start throwing out rune swords or you know? We like, we were like we captured enemy gear and right. uh, we also uh, one like one of the one of the missions was someone like we had a choice basically we could either focus on like building up some makeshift defenses for uh, an attack from a band it was, it was this was bandits but the thing is it was actually part of the overall overall story so it made sense right or we could risk going to find this uh, like rumored like old pre riffs military base that had equipment yeah and so we chose the latter because you know there's, there's some personal glory in there you're right 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 and the thing is like, it paid off and we, yeah we we actually did come we did walk away with right much more power of like gears from like almost all the gear we used at first was all from the main book right it's like the ba- only then did he start breaking out all the stuff from other books right well, because, that's well. I mean, that's 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 unique to the system, though. And it's that the Rift system is very much like there's a power group through the book. So, like that's and that and though that that wasn't even character growth per se. You, you just, just got know better so shit. much about riffs. I know so just much off about the riffs. top of your head. I know. Dude, I know. I played it all the way through high school and after. It's like you smoke to bet you smoke or you drink for a long time. The damage is there. <laughs> like you can quit, but it's the scars are still there. You can. I mean. It's just it is what it is. So I mean, that, but that's the thing. It was gear. It was external to your characters. Your characters didn't grow per se. You just got better shit. So you know. Well, and, well, the thing is, well, what does change is the attacks per round. That's well, yeah. the big thing. Well, <laughs> it really is, dude. It's amazing how much you go up against a guy with two attacks and you have four. Yeah. You are you are way more powerful than he is just by that alone. Yeah, I mean, because you know, because you know, especially if you're you're all wearing armor. You know, you can t- he can take two shots at you. If you take four shots at him, yeah, you're much more likely to drop him before he drops. But you. your power relative to the setting, though, I think that's the key. And like your power didn't like because you weren't using the crazy RCCs or anything. You weren't like overpowered for the thing. The thing was like in D and D, which I think is unique to D and D, is that like a character is a like say a farm boy. It's a level one wizard though, or sorcerer, or whatever. He starts out, oh, I can do a couple spells. I can kill that goblin stealing those chickens. That's it, you know. By level 10, though, he's like, oh, well, fuck it. There's goblins stealing chickens. I'm going to build a fucking golem and just have it kill every goblin in the valley. Fuck it. I'm going home. You know, like, that's the thing. You Or, like, I'm just going to fly up 400 feet in the air, invisible, and drop fireballs uh, above them so that they can't even see me. And... Uh, then I'll summon some invisible stalkers to finish up the rest. He invents carpet bombing as a way exactly, of dealing with yeah. the problem. On a magic carpet, because that's what he found. Magic so, carpet like, ride. Yeah. Oh. So, like, that's, a, that's, I mean, that's almost unique to D&D in a sense. The character growth in terms of power just grows so much. Um, I mean, but yet again, that, that, that's, a, that's a good point. But, like... Um, in most campaigns, you know, you have the, 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 the central question doesn't change because of your character mm. ability. And I think most systems have pretty slow character growth. Like, I don't think uh, nothing – I really – D&D really does have the fastest character growth that, that I think about, you know, out of all the popular systems. Unless you're being like a real munchkin with like, you know, World of Darkness. No, mutant, no Mutants and Masterminds is pretty slow. Well, yeah, you're not uh, getting many phase points. is slow. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And then Call of Cthulhu, you only get a couple of bonus points Call on Cthulhu, skills. Call of Cthulhu, you die. That's... Well, well there Call of are... Cthulhu, you're, 
all characters advance slow. Yeah, because all you do is improve your skills. Mm. Um, you can't improve your attributes. There are they are releasing a new edition of Call of Cthulhu actually uh, next year, seventh uh, edition. They're going to be making a lot of changes to it that are look pretty baller. But that's a whole different <laughs> thing, and we'll we'll talk about that later. Whole different bag of insanity, yeah. draining horror. We'll put a link to it, maybe. You know, it's it's on the internet. Just look it up. Jesus, why are we your <laughs> so um, so? Back to the central question: How do you? Uh, what is the best type? I mean, is the best type of campaign? I mean, I'm going to try something different now, and I think Caleb is going to for his next campaign, whatever that's going to be. He hasn't decided yet. Um, but the question is, you know, even if you become a badass, what's the what's the dramatic question? What are you going to do? Um, and there there is a danger though. Like, let's say you want to do a character based thing where like it's finding a mystery, but it's like who killed Laura Palmer, not like. What is the U.S. government conspiracy about UFOs, which mm. if revealed and made public would change everything. So, like, if you're trying to do that, if you're trying to do who killed Laura Palmer, but your guys keep getting more and more badass and they keep and in order to keep the campaign interesting, you have to keep raising the stakes. You know, like, how do you keep that from not becoming some cosmic thing? You know, I think that that's a big challenge is like having narrative power creep mm. in your own campaign. Like players like that's the whole thing. Like player characters can become more and more powerful. But like what does the campaign what does the game master have to do just like uh well fine they're like at the first time it's a few thugs fighting you but by like 10 sessions in it's like oh we gotta have you know nin- psychic ninjas attacking you guys you know because eventually there'll be no tension if it's just yeah if it's just oh another guy with a gun is attacking yeah. you yeah exactly which so. is exactly why you wouldn't use D for a game like that <laughs> i really it's once it's system you know yeah. you if you're playing D and D, you're not going to do a "Who Killed Laura Palmer" thing. No, you could. I mean, if it's I, Ravenloft, you, like, but yeah, you'd still you'd have to work at it. You'd really sure. have to work at it. Sure. You know, other games like Call of Cthulhu, you wouldn't have to. If you're just, never mind the supernatural horror, right? Just, you wouldn't have to do. But that. independent of system, how do you get it to where like you don't want to keep making it more and more tense? Like even in No Evil, like uh, just for talking about the Venus and Moon tier. Like in Venus tier, we were facing goons with guns, like the Night Cartel, first session. Then Caleb started escalating threats pretty quickly, like we on thought, you know, uh, mm. or uh, not even on thought, uh, Cloud Nine. Mm. Uh, we were facing two armed factions that were trying to kill each other. And now in Luna tier, we're about to rob a space bank. Woo! And like, shit is just insane, you know? Actually, I was in a campaign where I think there's a good way, if, if you're wanting to keep it, you know, lower key, mm-hmm. but still have many sessions. Decrease the time that passes in game. Really? Yeah, I would think. Uh, okay, in a game like that, you you know, if say if you, if you want a game that's all like still using Twin Peaks, yeah, like a long campaign, then have each session be the next day, rather than weeks pass or you know months pass, which we've done it, which we mostly done Eclipse Phase or a lot of the other games. Eclipse Phase seems to have been gone over a pretty quick. But still, of like, time. but I think if you make no it, evil, but that. if you make each session like the next day, yeah. It's not going to make a lot of sense to you know to cash in a buttload of experience for something that just happened the day before, right? Well, I, what I think you, I think if you if you make the, t- the lapse time smaller is a good way to do that. I mean, I could see that because then it doesn't it, it would um, stretch credulity credulity if you had um, you know psychic ninjas sh- showing up a week after uh, a couple FBI guys come in to investigate a murder, exactly. For but like. On the other hand, that creates new problems. Right? Is what if the F- one of the FBI guy gets shot uh, gets shot in the leg and can't walk? 
Like, is he just going to, like, make a new game? for the rest of the game. Well, he's going to be in the hospital for a couple weeks at least. Mm -hmm. I mean, because he's been shot, you know. Uh, So, like, if you're doing – and most systems I call Cthulhu actually have, like, you need fucking weeks of bed rest to heal from that shit. I mean, I know in the one-shots I'm pretty, like, much of a horrible monster about that. Like, Yes. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. First aid check? Sure, you can heal five points from that gut shot. Why not? You bandaged that up good. <laughs> Somehow it managed to miss every vital organ. Yeah. So, I think... Well, it's an idea, but yes, every possible idea has new problems. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, there's, there is... Uh, um, like, you can have the same stakes, but you have to be aware of what you're putting in the campaign. Like, everything you put... Like, if it's like, like an aquarium, everything you put in there, you have to think, like, you know, each new food or fish you put in, you know, changes everything else in the entire tank, you know, the entire aquarium. So you have to think about how, like, if you add one element, you know, a lot of GMs just think of something up, and like, oh, bam, we're gonna throw that in, you know? And in some things that works, like D&D, is explicitly made, so like, shit just doesn't have to make sense. Like, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a panther, but it has tentacles on its back, and... It teleport. And no, it doesn't teleport. It's like, it, it, there's, it has an illusion, so it looks two feet to the left. Oh. Yeah, so like... And it looks like it teleports. Bear plus owl. Go. You know, like there you go, like owl bear. Yeah, exactly. That that's, brilliant. It, it it is explicitly made so like you can just throw it in whatever you want and not have to worry about how it's going to affect everything else. I mean, I think that's one of the well, one of the reasons. If you why think about it, some guys, people jumping into a D D campaign aren't going to give a shit who killed Laura Palmer. Let's, well, no, like okay, I, they're not, dude. They're Here, let me not. do La- who killed Twin Peaks in D and D. Who killed Twin Peaks? Yes. Um, well, it's in Ravenloft because it's horror. Or, you know, we'll do as mystery horror. And the idea is every, the players get sucked up into the mists, and they come to this village, and uh, they find a wizard or sorceress, uh, Laura Palmer, basically, who says, "Yeah, I can send you right home." All right. Bam! Dead the next morning, and like the but part of her has been stolen, or her soul has been stolen, and you cannot resurrect her until you find her soul, and that's in a gym somewhere or something like that. So you have to find who killed her, get her soul back to resurrect her to go home. Otherwise, you're stuck in fucking hell in Ravenloft, which fucking sucks. But but it's D and D, but you have to use a specific you know setting to do that. Well, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, that, yeah, Ravenloft is an iconic setting, so I'm not going to make up a whole, you know, world for that. Uh, okay, so you want, like, who killed Laura Palmer in generic D&D world? Yeah. All right. Uh, obviously, start at level one. Um, the PCs are, you know, standard adventurers. They come there and, uh, or actually, they're hired to find out who killed Laura Palmer. That's the initial quest. Uh, and then they find out. They're also looking for a really good cherry pie and a cup of black coffee. Right. <laughs> the, the and you do it with slow progression. Five, five there actually are rule variants to lower power in DD to like make par- uh, character We're just going more. normal deity. No house rules here. Well, okay. Uh, okay. No house. Uh, all right. So, no standard house rules. And uh, the basic idea is if you. Well, how about that one they can just be compelled to do it like you they're you know gayest quest spells that say if you don't finish this you're going to be cursed forever. Uh, two they can make a swear an oath to have to uh, swear it uh, to to follow up. Uh, swear to me. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
but it's in a medieval city, and they had to, or it'd be like an Eberron campaign, uh, which is like meant to be more pulpy. Uh, they have to find out who killed them because Laura Palmer, uh, same basic premise, she her soul's been stolen, so you can't resurrect her until she is uh, her soul stone is found. You know, uh, which that is a standard spell in D and D magic jar. Um, so she's important to someone. She's someone's wife, someone's daughter. That's rich. She is the official MacGuffin of that campaign. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, that's and start at level one, and then just have. Every- As I said, you pretty much just answered the point I was I was thinking yeah. about trying to make. There is it can be done. You just have to really think it through. Yeah. Well, mystery campaigns are hard to do anyway. I mean, like it's harder to set up. Well, I think uh, I don't know. One of the things that sort of strikes me is a, a lot of the solutions to this come down to just the GM's control and planning and sort of thinking about. Well, that's how, the thing. Yeah, yeah, it's all about framing in the like initial setup. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the systems they're set up to just build up and build up and yeah, uh, you know, get bigger and better. So it's if you're you, I mean, if you, you can use D and D, but I mean, it just. It depends on what you decide yeah. to do with it, and make sure your players want to do the kind of thing you're thinking of. Yeah, right? If I mean, if you if you tell them, that, "Hey, I got a D and D campaign," honestly, the first thing I'm thinking of is, you know, like basically, all right, you know, it's like all right, level badasses. But if you start doing that, you know, there'll, there'll be like three players who the first day they're already planning how they're going to make their character when it gets to level fifteen. And yeah, I mean that that for D and D, sure. Um, so it's really make sure they're into it first. Right. Right. Um, but how would you like say like what I okay I'll just I already told Caleb like for me I'm planning to do an Eclipse Face campaign at some point in with the new book Rimward which we will talk about in the, the shoutouts phase which now just came out on the internet yes uh, I don't know when the port's coming out because I'm looking forward to that um, and I already know the basic setup the basic setup I already told the players so I'll just tell everybody here Woo! for my Eclipse Face campaign it's going to start out on an exoplanet which is you know the from the fog you know the Pandora Gate slash it's the fog gate yeah. Um, A hypercorp controlled exoplanet that's been colonized, but because of who the the hypercorp overseer is so incompetent and such a tyrant that there's a rebellion going on because uh, the anarchists find another there's another uh, Pandora gate that is discovered on the planet that leads to the anarchist collective and so they're like hey let's have a proxy war between the hypercorps and us so like let's take this planet over um, so the rebellion's in full swing so all the PCs wake up in new bodies and they're given guns and told to go suppress a riot by because you've all been in your own dentures, you're all hired by the hypercorp to put down a riot, and that's where it starts on the exoplanet. And from there, it can go any number of directions, however the players want to go. And I have a central di- like for me, the central di- dilemma, the central dramatic question isn't going to be like saving the planet or not, or like determining its fate. That's that's secondary. The damn it, the the sec- the real question is going to be. How do you get home? The idea is each of your characters, uh, for whatever reason, you can't be someone who has a family and a love place and a place in this world because you fucking you, you woke up in a hypercorp indentured program. You can't be someone that has a place in this world because they only they only get egos that like are outside of the society. You're you're someone. So, who's so none outcast. of the characters are going to be going. Where's my family? Well, they could be, but they don't know where their family is. Their their family don't all have jobs on Mars. It's not like you like. Oh shit! I need to get home. There's you don't have a home. So like that's the whole dramatic question is where do you find? What is your place in this world? What is your place in Eclipse Phase? So that's going to be the dr- uh, dramatic question for that. And so there's going to be all kinds of Eclipse Phase shit, but it's not going to 
be like in No Evil. I mean, it could be like in No Evil in the sense that you could, if you want to, if the players really wanted to, they could determine the fate of this exoplanet. If they, but if they, they would really have to commit to that. So I don't know. What do you when you when I say that? Um, what do you think, Tom? Since you're going to be playing this for the concept, well, because you're (laughs) you're going to China. You're going to not space China. I'm going to Earth China, sucker. So, Tom. Well, the first thing I want to do is obviously think of a character I would want to play for many sessions. Right. And I've run in games. I've been in games. Nothing. There's very very few things that suck more than, especially if you're running a campaign. Where one player keeps changing characters because he gets tired of them. That's a good point, especially if you're trying. I mean, if you're trying to do a character-based game, and then like, oh, I got this awesome plot hook for your assassin or your wizard, and then it's like, no, I hate him. I'm gonna be barbarian. <laughs> Me and barbarian now. I'm yeah. illiterate too. Uh. Yeah. So the first thing I would do, I would really think about what I would want to play, and not just what who. Yeah. I think there's a difference between what do I want to play and who do I want to play. Yeah. What do you want to play is a much simpler thing than who. I mean, that's mechanical. Yeah. But yeah, that's true. I mean, you can like people tend to think like what you play is who who you play. And that that's not true because you can I mean, like for example in D&D people always talk about paladins being like what's a stereotypical paladin? Aaron. Well, <laughs> a crusader. A crusader, humorless, uh, fanatic. Droll. Dro- well, not even droll, just like uh, humorless. I mean, just like not even like I am the... the, the I'm on a mission from God. Yeah, basically. I'm, I am the humorless zealot who's just going to do things by and the And I'm book. always right. And I'm always right, self-righteous, arrogant. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. not Aaron. I was just thinking, good guy. It's got to be Aaron. Yeah. Uh, but you could play. Why couldn't you play a droll, wisecracking, sarcastic, laid-back paladin? A snarky paladin. Yeah, a snarky. The, a Josh the, Whedon paladin. The late '80s, early '90s cartoon lead paladin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Leonardo as a paladin. You know, from uh, TMNT. Uh, so something like that. So why couldn't you? Why couldn't paladins, even though they have all these powers and codes of conduct, why can't they have differing personalities? I mean, how many of you watched? You know, movies or stories about guys who are or people who are all basically the same class or job or whatever, but they all have varying different mm-hmm. personalities. So, I mean, I, you know, I was I had a game where someone was playing a paladin who gave monsters, you know, like you know, the, not you know, mindless monsters, but monstrous races the benefit of the doubt, right? When they encountered them, you know, someone said, you know, like, you know, like the like the minute a minotaur attacked our village. And they finally track it down. He actually tried to find out if that's really what happened, and not just you know like uh, I see I see big bag of resources and XP, and I, I'm going to break my pinata open, <laughs> my XP pinata. I must break it. Nice. I will hit this thing until knowledge and experience come out. I can and speak it was, Spanish. I will and, bathe in it. Yeah. And that was it was one of the most amazing things ever. Like, oh my god, you're. You're actually making sure you're punishing the right people. <laughs> I mean, he still would smite you know any evildoer with not a, out a second thought, but he makes sure they're the right evildoer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that is uh, a very complexity. Good yeah. yeah, complexity. So three dimensional. You want to have the right character. So yeah, one of the problems is. So basically, the first yeah. thing I would do. Yes, first I would think of what I want to play. Yeah, that's the first thing I'm going to do. Is do I want to be a like a genetic scientist, a soldier, or whatever? Yeah. Then my then my my next first goal after next next goal after that is to make that what into a who mm-hmm. is uh, okay I'm playing it uh, okay I have a soldier who is this person and I actually answer I have a checklist of a bunch of questions I'd like to ask my character 
Yeah. That I start to, especially for a campaign. If it's a one shot, I don't give a shit. But, right, right, right. Well, you know, uh, Preston, I really thought about him. Really? I really did. I mean, I knew it was going to be an octomorph. That's pretty mm-hmm. much my what is he's an octomorph wise ass. Then I started, okay, now who is, but now who is Preston Crowley? And that's where that, that's where all that came. And that's why I ne- wouldn't even dream of changing characters. Right. For no evil. Right. Um, so like, what were some of the questions you asked, uh, Preston basically? Well, basically, um, you know, he's, he's an uplift. How does he feel about that? You know, is, does he resent being, you know, basically biological and intellectual property of a corporation or is he pretty much used to that or does he even enjoy it? You know, like who made him? Does he consider his father as, you know, okay. Is he just like the guy who spliced my genes together or is he really dad? And, does he does he do all these antics because you know he's truly not afraid of dying for real, or is it just is it all about ratings? I actually had a thing. Does he just is it just about a show, or is he really trying to just live life? Like all that kind of stuff. That's very good. Uh, what about you for Faye in? Like, well, uh, I mean, yeah, for just coming up with Faye in, it, it started with you know what I mean, what sort of things really interest me about the the world and the things that I can do when I'm making the character and the like forking and that sort of stuff sort yeah. of popped out at me early on, and that's that's why I wanted. Uh, I guess since we're at, I guess right now we're actually coming up on the bank heist where all that sort of comes to starts coming to a head for her. Yeah, that's uh, true. like you know what, like what you have to deal with if you're a fork dealing with you know stuff that you technically didn't actually ever do uh you know the the life complications when there can be more than one of you why somebody would fork themselves and all those sorts so of was things. it like tom you thought about mechanically what you wanted to do first or was yeah, it yeah it's it's yeah, uh, yeah. it's uh, really for both of us i think sounds like just well okay for eclipse phase the first thing is really what morph do i want mm. that was really the first thing i thought of okay and uh that's and there's nothing wrong with thinking that as long as you build upon it. So then, okay, and then once I discern, well, that was a quick one. Like, okay, octomorph. What about like, okay, now what do I want my profession to be? Then when I get that stuff down, it's pretty much like the mo- the most important shit, and then right, right. break it down. Okay. So any other any differences uh, for you, Thad? Uh, I don't know. A lot of it just came down to after you know reading through the the first book, just finding what I the like I said the forking really interested me. And as far as settings go, I just I liked you know the world of Luna and just the different stuff going on there. And also, I think when I made Faye, I was I, I had been reading Neuromancer, so I had like a really sort of. Uh, Cyberpunk-ish kind of backstory, anyway. A little so bit of like, Cowboy Bebop, too. Yeah, a little bit of that. <laughs> that that wasn't intentional. Like I just looked up Chinese names. I was like, okay, there's a lot of a lot of Chinese people on the moon. Let's find a name. There we go. <laughs> and then the instant I said it, it's like, oh right, of course. It's yeah. one of my favorite shows ever. I'm I'm an idiot. Subconsciously, it's like, <laughs> yes, you shall do Cowboy Bebop. Yes. All right. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I actually, um, Preston Crowley was a name I kind of dis- I thought of in. Two parts. Right. Like, I wanted kind of a, almost like a preppy-ish first name. Yeah. But then I also wanted kind of a name that would denote someone who is not readily accepted. And Yeah. Aleister Crowley certainly felt, fit that yeah. bill. Yeah, true. So I kind of yeah. thought Preston Crowley sounded, sounded interesting. You know, it- kind of like, you know, because he is basically from the corporate society. He's still, I still have like an 80 in network hypercorps. Right. So, yeah, I was. I wouldn't recommend using it. No, but you know, I was born into the hypercorp. I may not be a hypercorp myself, but I was born into that world. Right. You never asked for it, though. 
No, I, I never asked for <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about actually how I created Bartleby. And, like, well, the first thing that was uh, interesting for me that I realized that I wanted to do, uh, partly because I thought it would be good for our team to have the balance and also just I was interested in it myself, uh, was uh, the, the async rules. There's psionic powers. I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. So I looked at that, and then the async, the, there's only one group that's associated with the asyncs by default, the lost. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, well, that's interesting, interesting too. It got that whole battle royale kind of, you know, <laughs> fucked up beginning uh, for all of them. So I, I decided to put that together. And then on a mechanical point of view, I decided I was going to make my character so where he was going to I, I figured there were going to be people with multiple like the interfacing and infosec skills are going to be really common so i figured i would pick the not those skills <laughs> so that's kind of Let's why see. what skills would i have if i grew up in a place where we murdered each other over and over yeah so yeah sneaking and weapons and that that kind of thing so but like not hacking because i figured everybody else is going to be a hacker and engineer type so like uh just because of the setting itself, like I, uh, so that 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 was kind of oh. important to me. And also being a social, being a social character is not usually what I want. I play no. That's so I true. thought it'd be interesting to try one as an octomorph. Yeah, like you know, I'm the talker and liar of the group. Yeah. Um, and then from the lost concept, I just figured like, why would this guy be with firewall? And cause, and I figured the only reason why is if he, if he was like fanatically loyal to them, if he was just like. Fucking, it's part of his crazy. Yeah, it's part of his crazy. That's the only way I could see him. Like otherwise, he'd just be like, "Fuck off!" I, you know, uh, I'm not gonna help you. Or he, they wouldn't trust him. Like they wouldn't trust somebody like that unless he was like really just like, yeah. He, there's no way he could not be with us. Yeah. yeah. Um, Actually, I didn't find the thing of why Preston would have joined Firewall. Yeah. What I finally came up with just his original thought of I'm basically I, I've been alive for six months now, so I'm I still don't know how shit works, but. I'm going to write a book. <laughs> Pretty much is, I'm going to be part of this super secret, you know, spy agency that does stuff. Yeah. Then I'm going to write a book about it someday. Yeah. Then I get in like, oh wait, I it's like only later. I can't write a book about this because they'll kill me. There's yeah. no out. Yeah. There's no out. <laughs> yeah, and I, it's probably better if I don't because oh my god, what are we doing? Uh, so yeah, um, that's kind of a. Um, so you have to think about your character when you're designing it mm-hmm. uh, for the campaign and make sure the GM knows about it. Uh, and I think Caleb's done a, a, an admirable job with it so far. But I think, I mean, he, he was, um, I mean, I was talking to him earlier. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think there, there is this kind of awareness that we were kind of like doing these epic cosmic things. And that's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But like, you know, in the future, we'll try something different, you know. Yeah, I think really a lot of it just for the, if you're wanting to do the more limited sort of, not altering the universe type of game a lot of it comes down to consensus between the player and the gm like right, right off because if you find out later that you're playing a game where you don't get to punch god in the jaw right and say a one-liner and you wanted to do that that's you know well i mean a lot of it isn't even up to the rules per se but like even like say in an epic level D campaign like it's it's about what the gm says the the consequences of your actions are like mm-hmm. if you could have an epic level D game where all you do are kill drag go into dungeons kill dragons get their oh, loot wow. and come you, back you to name the check game. like both the things from yeah the exactly yeah. Nice. uh so you do that but like what nothing changes as a result of that like you kill the dragon but the gm says all right yeah nothing's changed i mean you've killed the dragon you've you've saved the kingdom mm-hmm. The end, you know, and that that's a D and D game because there's nothing in the rule saying if you kill a dragon, 
like they give suggestions. Social order just flips over. Yeah, like all the goblins rebel, all the kobolds under its control go to war or whatever. There's the not, surf, surf, There's a power vacuum. The means yeah, of there's production. nothing in the rules that specifically say you have to do that. It's what the GM decides are consequences of your actions or the actions that, that happen. So, like, you could do that kind of game and just say, like, no, that, that happens or that doesn't happen, you know? It, it's, you're, you're just, like... Power cock blocking them. Oh, you did something. Look at how much it changed. Well, no, I mean that's well, that's the thing. Like a lot of people like that. I yeah. mean, like um, again, if you want a dungeon crawling game, you know, you don't necessarily want everything to change because if you do that, you know, like in world of people, millions of people play World World of Warcraft and fucking like, what does that matter? Actually, that would be that would be kind of a fun reversal though. They're playing just normal dungeon crawling things and just accidentally un- up. Just flip over the social. Oh order sure, and have reversal to deal with shit. of a common trope like that would is always a fun idea for a game, but um, you know it doesn't change the fundamental nature of that universe. Mm. So like, uh, it's or, just there. Yeah. How about, or how about I'm not. How about the game we played um, on Saturday? Uh, the oh Star Wars one roll engine. Yeah, we'll talk about that for the anecdote. But yeah, I'm, but it's the same thing. I think we have a consensus. Like we don't want to change the galaxy. I don't think we we oh, aren't. We, that's not like even a possibility. Even if we wanted to, we're not going to because we're just going to argue for half the game session. <laughs> but uh, I think no. I think I can't that, wait to listen to that. Yeah, it's something. It's something. It really <laughs> we'll have is. that as part of the rant. Well, we'll talk about it more for the anecdote. Um, so a lot of it again is up to the GM just deciding what is how this is going to impact the game world, how it's not going to impact the game world. And there are a lot of games, like a lot of Call of Cthulhu games, are the whole thing is you don't change anything. Because, mm-hmm. like, you stop the, the evil... The universe gives no fucks. Yeah, the universe, like, it, you stop the evil in this abandoned farmhouse in New England. That's it. Cthul- you know. Cthulhu still in my also learned that there are horrible evils out there. Yeah, you, 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 stopped, you stopped the murderer who was a monster... It but, melts away know, into nothing. But Azathoth is still at the center of the universe. Right. Cthulhu still is sleeping beneath the ocean. Right. But, I mean, yeah, Delta Green, like, a lot of these games, nothing changes as a result of it. Um, so, you know, there, there's a new game coming out called Knight's Black Agents, which is, like, a conspiracy game, like Jason Bourne, but the idea is, like, vampires might be controlling the conspiracy. Mm. Like, you're, like, you're some badass secret agent, you just find out you're, you're the people controlling everything. And so the whole thing, like, the, there are rules for, like, creating a conspiracy, like, from the bottom to top, like, a whole pyramid. And so the idea is, like, in the game, you go, you work your way up the pyramid. You go from the street level to the city, to the national level, to the global level, to the to the controllers. And so, like, you, they might be vampires. They might be, you know, nano, you know, people with nanotechnology in them that drink blood for to refuel their nano machines. You know, they could be whatever. And the idea is, so in that game, you may be able to stop the conspiracy. You may not be able to. So who knows? That all sounds pretty rad. But when I hear Jason Bourne, my immediate question is, how exactly do you work shaky cam as a game <laughs> uh, attribute? Um, I haven't read it all yet. Like I just got somebody comes in and just shakes the table while you're trying mm-hmm. to read your role. I, I got the PDF from the people of Pelgrim Press, uh, but it's like a 280-page thing, so I've just Ooh, started looking nice. at it. It's, it's, it's pretty complex. So. I like the idea of coming up with your own conspiracy, though. That's pretty rad, because, I mean, most of the time, if there's a conspiracy-based game, the book will be like, hey, here's what our conspiracy is for today, or they'll right. give you, like, a conspiracy menu. It's one of these. Right, and it's so very much you- a toolkit thing, but, like, if you do this conspiracy-type game, like, what is the result of stopping this conspiracy? Mm. Can Does anything change? What would happen if yeah. It, yeah, can it be changed? Can you even get away? So should it be changed? Yeah. Should it be changed? So should it be changed? 
Um, now, there, there is one other uh, topic I'd like to talk about, and this is a little bit uh, of an update, like talking about integrating players into a game. Um, so this is relating to campaign structure, because, and it relates to campaign structure, too, because it, it actually matters. Um, during the No Evil campaign, we've had two players join us at various parts. You've already met one, Drew, uh, who's playing the ultimate security guard. Max Jacks. Yeah, Max um, and we didn't handle that very well because we didn't give him very good advice about what to make his character like. And he was like, yeah, I'll just show up and start playing. So, you know, um, as you've already seen in the actual place, he didn't like one because Eclipse Face is a science fiction horror game. You have a willpower stat and that helps you resist <laughs> mental trauma because yeah. you can go crazy. And oh, Max man. has the minimum in that. He had like a 10 in it. And like the maximum is like thirty, so like his his attribute is very low, so he may fail a lot of checks. He went crazy a lot, and so we won't spoil what happens to him. But eventually, Drew had to move, or he stopped. Uh, he Drew moved away for the summer, so his character stopped playing. So um, we've recently had a new player join us, David, who's playing um, a scientist type. Who uh, we gave him better advice, you mm-hmm. know, like. Max out your willpower, like um, that. That so, and, here's and, also, just, and also just the stuff that Caleb did to integrate him. Yeah, in. I think that's some other things. Like Caleb didn't do anything to integrate Drew into the campaign. He just like firewall sent you. Show up and help them. And in in David's chase, he he tied him into a plot hook. That uh, so we needed him. Yeah, so we needed his help. So um, I don't know. What do you think about like integrating players? What have you learned, or what, what else have I missed? Anything about integrating players into an existing campaign? Because David even had some character stuff too. Yeah. Um, because he defined, he knew his character very well from the beginning. Uh, like he knew he would help this person out and wouldn't do that, but he wouldn't do this. He'd do that and wouldn't do that. So that was very good for David. So I don't know. What do you guys? Well, he, I, he came up with his character days before he actually made it. Right. He actually, he actually, he does like I do. He he came up with what he wanted to do, and then he answered the questions. Right. So he essentially made a character he wanted to stick with for the long term, no matter whatever that long term might be. Right. So what? What? Uh, so wait, he did questions too. Did you? Do you know this, or you're just? Yeah, assuming? I actually I did it with him while I was in the car with him. Okay. So what were the questions? I mean, like, what um, were they ones you made up, or there are? Or, or yeah, well, I, I asked some basic ones, like, okay, yeah. uh, like who, what, like, what's this person's name? Obviously, yeah. You know, where is he from originally? Does he have any family? Then I start, you know, it's where are you from like, originally? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay, the usual stuff isn't working. So, <laughs> but then, yeah, then actually, um, it kind of, I, just, it's kind of like uh, then, like, like David, we were like we were heading, you know, from the north side to the south side of the town, so. I basically just interviewed his character, kind of. All right. I asked his character questions through him. Okay. And really, by the end, uh, then and then he would uh, like says like somebody will go well. well let me a- answer that by asking you this. <laughs> so we went back and forth. By the time we arrived at uh, Golden Corral, which I believe was our final destination on that road, that okay. ride, because yeah, you never really do leave Golden Corral. There's a part of you that's always left behind there. Yes, it's true. Nice. But yeah, by the time we arrived there, we pretty well had we had, we pretty much had a good character. But the thing is, we kept going. Okay. Even as we ate, we were just we would just right. banter back and forth like that. Okay. Because that we both enjoy that kind of thing. So really, yeah. By the time he finally put it, committed it to paper. We had his character down. All right, and exactly, and um, I even did. So, like, I, I one time I switched over to Preston. Like, yeah. So, what would you bring to our organization? <laughs> you're, you're giving him a job interview. Yeah. 
That was that's pretty awesome. I I totally dig that. Well, I mean, um, he didn't know very much about like the eclipse phase world, did he? Actually, he did borrow the book from and Caleb, actually, uh, I think. and it went to, and during another trip, uh, we were taking uh, Caleb home. Caleb basically went over the entire game. Oh, that's handy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, I don't think anybody did any of that with Drew. No, we didn't. And Drew just showed up. So so part of that's at least on us. No, a lot of it is on us. Like we really. No, the only up. part of it because we're still great. <laughs> Except you, you monster. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, but I see how it is. We're great, and then I go. Oh no, they, they went to hell after I left. I see how it is. Yes. But the job. I like the job interview kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's a cool idea. That's a like great that. idea. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, so that's definitely if you're integrating somebody in a campaign, an existing campaign, some kind of process. Like the more work you do with them, I don't want to say work, but the more prep you do. interaction. Yeah, interaction you do ahead of time. Uh, the more the more benefits. you perhaps immerse them. Yeah, in the world. You know, another thing you could do is like run a one shot using the same characters. Like, if you wanted to do like say Twin Peaks game, your team FBI You're agents really stru- hung up on that, aren't you? Well, it <laughs> works perfectly for structurally reasons. You know, for mm. structural reasons. Um, that like your your team FBI agents, you're investigating the murder. The murder's going to take, or you know, uh, how about the killing? All right, the the killing that the whole thing. I'm about, not judging you. I'm okay. just over here. All right, so you're a team FBI FBI agents. You're investigating a murder. That's the campaign, and there's a lot of other crimes that you find. It's a very complicated mystery. Blah blah blah. So new player shows up. He's playing a forensic, you know, profiler or something like that, or just you know a SWAT guy or whatever. Oh, like that, that guy who showed up and hated everyone, who was the forensic scientist. Yeah, something like that. So, like, how do you integrate them in the campaign? Well, why not run like a one shot, like your FBI agents say? Oh, well, you still have to do other investigations. Like, oh, hey, there's a bank robbery. Go, go get those guys. You know, or like, or, or partake in a raid. Like, we need every agent we can get because we're raiding a meth lab. You have like a side story game to yeah, to just bring a one shot where the new and give the guy plenty of time to shine and like nothing, and then the other players can talk to him and like interact with them. So like, it wouldn't necessarily be like a one on one thing, but everybody gets a chance to do it without super high stakes mm-hmm. so like that's one of the things uh that i i need to actually run this game for real sometimes since as i said before it failed spectacularly but one of the things i really like about spirit of the century yeah. is like the way they talk about developing characters yeah involves like the first session is largely figuring out how your characters know each other and like what they've done together yeah and i just yeah i think that's a great idea and i've I mean, that's essentially what it is, just finding that way to, to tie this new character in with the group, figure out, you know, what their strengths are. And that's yeah, that's pretty boss. So, yeah, um, there's definitely a lot of mechanics uh, to sort of build on that. Uh, some systems are better about it than others, but you don't need a system to do it. I mean, you can do it in – like, there's no game – you don't need fucking game mechanics for a job interview. You know, like um, – I mean, and that wouldn't necessarily work in a and d game, but it could be like, again, a one-shot. Like, hey, we're going to go kill some goblins because they're attacking the town. Like, everybody's in the bar, and then dragons show fucking up. Fucking dragons. Yeah, always oh. showing up and just being assholes. So, like, go kill the – A dragon staggers in drunk, demanding Like, maybe, like, some other, some other – assholes on a quest oh the dragonborn's shown up and he's oh dragons attack him every time let's go kill that guy he just left he didn't even kill his dragon like fine we'll go kill the dragon for him so you know do something like that boost road dick yeah exactly <laughs> uh so that's the kind of thing you need to think about so integrating new players into an existing campaign so any other final thoughts about campaign structure i think again the the main thing is realizing at the very beginning what kind of game you want to run i explicitly said make sure your players are into it 
Well, yeah. Well, as I mean, much as you can. I mean, you can't be like, okay, here's it, everything I'm going to do. Are you, yeah. are you okay with that? I think I think it's not necessarily telling them, but knowing, like, uh, giving them some idea, but you don't want to spoil everything mm. for it. So, like, giving them some general indication, like, especially, I think, uh, uh, for that is, like, if you want to do a character-based game, like, ask them a lot more questions about your characters so mm. that they, they know their character a lot better. I know... Like Bartleby, it took me a while uh, to you know to get a, a real handle on. Um, but like, and because the, there's nothing wrong because you don't know the character until you play him. I think you know you can't just no matter how well you write it out or you know you describe your character until he's in the game with other people. Yeah, you you don't start really, responding to things as them. yeah, and the other players because you don't know how they're going to be. So um, I think it you just have to give them some idea, and especially if you're an established group, you should know what your players are like a little bit at least. You'd think you know. I pay attention sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. I, I don't um, know any of you people. Yeah. I, <laughs> Who are you? Yeah, I see how it how is. How did I get here? Yeah, <laughs> I see how it is. So we're gonna um, take an arrow to the knee. Oh. Yeah. Try just know what's available and realize you can. Actions can have consequences. They don't have to, or they can have different consequences. You know, you don't have to say like, if you kill the dragon, X will happen, and only X will happen. You, it's your game. So say like, if you kill the dragon, then there's not necessarily. I don't want to have to deal with the power vacuum or the civil war between his minions or shit like that. Mm-hmm. Just say they all flee, or they they don't they stay the same, or like you know whatever works better for your game. So um, run the game you want to run. Yeah, I mean. Just realize that there is the possibility of narrative power creep. The idea that you have to, the idea that you don't have to keep raising the stakes. I mean, there are the, different ways of raising the stakes than just physical danger. I mean, like for example, like in L.A. Noir, the thing that broke immersion for me was the idea that you, you know you, you solve all these mysteries, but you just have to murder so many people in this, like. You know, yes, uh, for the listeners at home, that is imitating the character for Millennium War by rotating the postcard back and forth. Uh, because that's how the L.A. Noir. Too bad there's no dead body for you to fondle. I mean, that, that's a real thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel really bad about that. Yeah. yeah so in um, so in that game, you have to kill so many guys for it. It just doesn't kind of doesn't make sense. Like in a call, like again, going to the FBI murder campaign, murder mystery campaign. Like you could do a whole game where like the players don't get in very very many gunfights, and when they do, they're not like against a horde of like max Payne three like 500 swat guys or whatever. Yeah, i mean if you're playing an fbi game you uh, if you want to crank up the realism it's like you have to explain to your superiors every shot you fire or or cover it up <laughs> or yeah or yeah bullshit like, it. or yeah, break no, the law just just like get throw guns and like yeah. hide the body like commit murder like legitimately <laughs> oh, like, wow. make people disappear <laughs> make like, it a training day yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, Ross, so are you going to run like a Stalin, let's disappear people game now? No, I'm okay. not. I'm just going to make that an option. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can you can report the murder and or, they'll, they'll suspend you and you won't get a promotion. Or you can melt the body in acid. <laughs> there is this pit of acid right here. Nobody's yeah, using like, it. My father, my, my father promote. owns an acid factory. <laughs> It does. It's just industrial. We manufacture. Acids. We manufacture vats of acid. Yeah, it's like the second episode of Breaking Bad. Like, <laughs> let's melt the body in acid. Like, that's the second episode. So, oh, thanks a lot. I know. I'm such a monster. Um, <laughs> is that a tea cozy on his head? So, but again, like the idea is like if you do a system like Call of Cthulhu, where, like if you get shot, it really fucking sucks. There's still a lot of danger and tension in it. Mm. Um, it's making it. Drama doesn't necessarily mean like a good game doesn't mean high power, low power, 
you know, escalation of like fighting or whatever. Just because the stories, the stakes of the story are rising, doesn't mean the stakes of the individual conflict have to rise. Yeah, I mean, that's, like a deadly gunfight is still a deadly fucking gunfight. That's that's one of those things that. Well, I mean, we talked about just as far as writing goes. Yeah, as uh, when I taught creative writing, a lot of students would just not know how to make, would not understand the idea of conflict that didn't involve somebody getting hit. Yeah, like you know, knowing how to manage interpersonal conflicts as opposed to just right. something needs sh- something need get shot. Well, even yeah, yeah. I mean, not just like that. Well, or even in violence, not necessarily like in Max Payne three. You start out shooting a few guys, but by level ten, you're fucking shooting an entire Everyone, army. Every like, male adult in that country. Yeah. So it it. I mean, in a sense, that's part of the genre because it's this action thing. That's you know. Oh, like, I'm so gritty. Yeah, exactly. What but have like, I done with my life? You don't need to do that. Like, it's still ridiculously dangerous. Like Daisy, like in in that mod. Like, I knew you'd get to it. Yeah, I know. Like. <laughs> You're always just fighting other random assholes who have just scavenged up a few weapons. But the tension is ridiculous because it can come from anywhere and have any number of forms. At one point, you could be just you know shooting guys that are trying to snipe you. The next point, they're pointing guns at you and asking you Seinfeld trivia questions. Answer this question or we'll, before the zombies come and shoot you. And there are videos of that. That happens. Get on the bus or we'll shoot you. Like Seriously, that game just makes its players into the crazy villains from zombie survival movies. Oh, it does. It does. So uh, just some things to think about. Um, so if you have any questions or comments about uh, escalating or de-escalating uh, conflict, uh, let us know. And uh, we will uh, do our best to answer them. So we'll be back. With, Tom does not have a letter. We do well, have shout-outs well, and is, a letter and an anecdote. Well, the thing is I had a letter. But then I started writing it, and suddenly I realized it actually deserves more than what I was giving it. So it will be the letter I will read for our pre-Gen Con show. All right. Very good. We'll be back in a bit. And we're back. So uh, first off, we'll get a couple of shout-outs out of the way. Uh, Thad, you wanted to mention one game you've been playing recently. Yes. Well, I mean... Uh, kind I of think, indirectly referenced already. Yeah, because you guys already did a shout-out to Lone Survivor, didn't Lone, you? I did, yeah, because yeah. uh, it was a great uh, game. Well, I was uh, looking around uh, for other games made by the same guy, uh, Jasper Byrne, I think is his name, and I found yeah. a demake that he did of Silent Hill 2 called Soundless Mountain 2, and it is... Just a, a point and click, a, a 2D point and click adventure game version of Silent Hill 2, which are two of my favorite things mashed into. It's like the Reese's peanut butter cup of video games, and it's just. Someone I mean, it's not it's not the most perfect thing ever, but I've. Uh, it's fun. I like it. <laughs> the D-make, it really? Are you a big fan of the D makes? I did, I like it. It's a fun idea. It's a fun idea. I mean, I like. Oh, it. Well, a lot of them suck. I'll give yeah, you that. Okay. No, that's. Right. Uh, I'm not looking for quality. I'm just looking for things that amuse me. Yeah. yeah. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, uh, Tom, I know you, you probably want to describe this since it's one we've both been recently watching the 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 show. Uh, Adventure Time. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I believe it was described as. Um, was it yeah. Fantasia meets Carcosa? That was your description. Yeah. Um, it, there, there's. I can't say that's wrong. I mean, so uh, yeah. Do you want to describe it for the listeners? Those of them who have not watched this show. 
it's the apo- the apocalypse has happened. Yeah. There's one human boy left, and they go and he has a talking dog companion. Shape shifting. Shape shifting talking dog. It's basically companion. a shoggoth. Who can and they go on adventures. Jake is a shoggoth. I don't know why you're. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's That's true. Funny. And uh, yeah. yes, I know we're a little late to the gate on this one, but yeah, we were wa- we watched over it. Caleb's been. Caleb's has the DVD. Yeah, so we've been watching for uh, season one. It's pretty insane. The the Y wolves, I think, are this the single thing he found the funniest. <laughs> and bloodlust. Uh, yeah. Um, so we that's that's a good show. Um, of course, we already mentioned already Rimward, which is the new <clears throat> Eclipse Phase book, uh, source book describing the outer rim, basically um, everything past Mars. You know, uh, everything that wasn't covering Sunward, but all still, those other planets, yeah, Saturn, Jupiter, Jupiter. I mean, Jupiter, Saturn, uh, Neptune. <coughs> you know, yeah, basically, yeah, Uranus. Uh, and the Oort Cloud. We can't forget the Oort Cloud. Woo, Oort Cloud, uh, yeah. One of the great things I like is they even describe the, the, the farthest man-made objects in the universe in eclipse phase. Mm-hmm. The, the farthest one out is like 38,000 AUs out, like really deep. And the Jovians control it. It's like some, some probe that has self-repair functions that was sent out before the fall, but like – they the Jovian somehow got the protocols to control it, so they they uh, tell it what to do. And um, there's just yeah a lot of shit, like crazy anarchist collective uh, habitats systems. The Titanians. Um, uh, it's there's so I've just started reading it and it's great. So there's new morphs too. Uh, there's one that you like, Tom. Um, there's several. There's uh, but there's one uh, that's called Finra. Uh, you know the wolf from Norse mythology that eats everything. Yeah, uh, it's a combat morph that can house up to six egos. It's like this Walker tank that has like crazy durability and armor, and has a shitload of weapons. So you can have up to six egos in it. So it's basically like guy one controls gun one. So you can have like so it's like. Artemis spaceship simulator, but exactly. with a body. Yeah, exactly. Um, but everyone has a gun. So yeah. Speaking of the next shout out, Artemis spaceship simulator. Thanks for that little segue. Very subtle. Very. <laughs> I don't think our listeners would realize that. Um, Artemis space. I know we mentioned it before. We're finally. I got the game. I've set it up on my computer and my old laptop. And we're going to play it next week, and we're going to record it. So at some point, there will be an RPBR video of us playing Artemis Spaceship Simulator. So we will uh, thrill and chill you with our entertainments. I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> it's going to be a train wreck. Is, is, oh, yeah. Oh, oh it's oh, us. Oh, it's what? us. Yeah. Yeah, it's... yeah. We, 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 uh, they... I'm going to insist on talking like Bane the whole time. Oh, God. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Actually, speaking of outer space, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, but... The board game Twilight Imperium. Okay. Oh, yay. Yeah. For the, like, four turns that we played of it, it was pretty sweet. Over five hours. <laughs> we, we played four turns. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever was play... Was it five? I thought it was six. No, we... we I don't know. We, I think it was closer to six hours. I wish we could play it again, because, like, now, look, when we finally got a grip on it around hour five, I felt yeah. like it would have been if only we had time and inclination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is true. Uh, it is it is a very complex game. I can see it as very deep gameplay, but goddamn, it takes for fucking ever. 
And uh, we had two tables. Yeah. Um, we two. Dan, who owns it, said he's played like three complete games of it, and he's had it for like ten years. He, like, uh, he bought it during the ice storm of 07. No, he had it before then. He had it in like two thousand four. Like he mm. bought it in two thousand four. I think two thousand seven was the first time he completed an entire game of it. So basically, what you're saying is the world had to shut down around him for a complete game to be played. Yeah, yeah. That's oh my god. <laughs> Uh, and that's not even like in the top ten of longest board games slash war games. I mean, like that's not even in the top fifty. Like, well, I mean, if you well, it depends on if you count how, if you count war games. Then no, because every there's so yeah. many fucking epic war games that take forever to go. Like, I know I've talked about campaign for North Africa, but like oh, there are games that are less complex than campaign for North Africa. But like that's not saying much mm. that people actually play. You know, like oh, God. I don't know. I I thought the setting for Twilight Imperium was really cool. If yeah. there was a game. That was that, but less time. Yeah, I would play it with little provocation. Yeah, no joke. No, I think it needed to be shouted out. Uh, no, no, yeah, definitely. Um, I would like to mention the next. I just got this. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. The Apocalypse Codex, which is the next book in the laundry novels, i.e., the Atrocity Archives, the Charles Stross series novels, where magic is a field of math, and you can run spells through. Uh, computers. You can have your Necronomicon iPod, Necronomapod, uh, where you have an app for death spells. There's an app for... Ah! Yeah, and summoning demons and spirits and all this other good shit. And there's a laundry RPG already out. I've read it. I, it's really cool. And I really want to read the Apocalypse Codex. So I'm going to read that first, and it will be baller. So deal with that. Uh, Dealt with. If it just suddenly sucks, you're you're going to be really sad. I'm going to be very very sad. So uh, finally, cry, oh or, Ross, going to cry. Uh, Tom, you you, you watch this too. The uh, the nearest rift tracks. You want to give a little? Oh my god, was it the bloody pit of horror? Horror. Yeah. That just sounds like the greatest thing. It. Yeah, you would think. <laughs> no, it was. It's a guy torturing people in a not luchador mask. Yeah. It's. It's an Italian horror film made in the 70s. It's like 74 minutes long. It's just... Horrendously dubbed. It's just ridiculous. What was going on in Italy in the 70s? Because I've seen a lot of movies from then and there, and they had some know. issues. They did have issues. And their film industry, oh my god. They, how do they go from Fellini to this? I don't, I don't, I don't even know. No, so. let's, let's just say that it's a guy that he's basically in the... Uh, stalker position like the hunched over stalker position through most of the entirety of the end of the movie comes like just saying i am the crimson executioner well i mean the riffing is pretty good so oh the riffing is always great but yeah. it's one of those movies it it's even a, even with the riff it's a little it's, yeah it's kind of like uh, the last it's kind of like the last airbender even with the riff tracks it's really hard to watch i enjoyed it you guys just are weak i don't know um <laughs> Of course, it was because of the red tracks. Um, uh, but speaking of an actual good film, One of the Dead. Oh. This is a, yeah, Kathy, why don't you talk about that? Yeah, so, no, it was uh, really, I, I didn't, I'd heard of it like vaguely online just because I'm a nerd and I hear things. But yeah. it was really well put together, actually. Like there were character arcs and there was like political satire and stuff. And that, really, it, when I go to a zombie movie, the, I set my bar at, are there going to be some interesting looking deaths? And anything above that is just gravy. And so this was, uh, I was really impressed with it by the end. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if you 
know things about Cuba, it, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of references that you can kind of tell is about Cuban history, and but like as a non-Cuban, there, a couple of the jokes are going to be lost a yeah. little bit. But like, or it just gives you an insight into the Cuban like mindset and the way of life. I don't know. It's a really funny movie. It's a really good. It's up there with Shaun of the Dead and Zombieland. In my in my in my opinion, it's not a romantic comedy. It's about a father at its core, about a father reuniting with his daughter. Yeah. So like, and sort of dealing with his own hangups about zombies. his place yeah. in the world and all. Well, that the stuff. zombies yeah. are just the 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 excuse for the drama. So <laughs> you know, like every great zombies time. shamble the action forward. Yeah. So that's coming. That that's uh, that's uh, uh, view it with your eye parts. Yes. Also, listen to it if you have ears. Um, one other thing, I've uh, just watched finished the first season of the League. Uh, it's an FX show about a fantasy football league where the guys, yeah, everyone in it, is way too competitive. Caleb told me about it. It's actually you don't need it. The great thing about it is you don't need to know anything about football or fantasy. That's, that's football. That's good because I'm nearly thirty and I do not know how football works. Yeah, well, I don't know weird? how fantasy football works. I know I they like little league. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, I know how football. I, I don't know how fantasy football works. I don't want to know how it works. But it's all about how like these guys are married, mostly married. Some are married, some are single. Mm-hmm. Some one guy is getting a divorce, but they're all just insanely competitive with each other. They just give each other their friend. They've been friends for fifteen years, and they just loathe each other's guts because of how like oh, I can't believe you won this week. Oh my god, oh, you son of a bitch. You know, they just the it, it, it's great. You know, it's all about. Yeah, so uh, all the characters, it's one of those shows kind of like Reno 911 where it's like all the major actors in it are stand-up comedians and they kind of improv the whole thing. So like it's just lots of shit talking and, you know, for the dialogue. Um, See if they can make a decent show about fantasy football. Why don't we do one about tabletop gaming? Because we need good stand-up actors with skills. Yeah, let's get Pat Oswalt. Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. Someone have his phone Do number. Do that happen. I don't, I don't have my phone with me, so I don't have his phone number. Yeah. <laughs> Ricky Gervais, too. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, sure. Pat Oswalt, Ricky Gervais, talking about tabletop. I, Louis C.K. Yeah, oh, Louis C.K. Yeah, why not? Of course. Yeah. I don't, what, who else do you want? Let, let's uh, want let's resurrect Bill Hicks while we're at it. And George Ooh, that's Collins. good. Can, yeah. do, can we, like, rebuild him? And Richard Pryor. Yeah, to round out yeah. the whole team. Yeah. Actually, can, Andy Kaufman, I mean, if we're going to do Yeah, that. sure. Let's, let's do it. Like, we, I, don't, I mean, that's about as, that's less. Lenny Bruce? Yeah, yeah, sure. All right. Ross, is, Ross seems to be really going along with this. I don't, mm. I don't trust it. No, neither. I don't think he's really going to help us with this. <laughs> You've got to raise the dead app, don't you? <laughs> I wish. Uh, and finally, I want to tell you, uh, Roll20 is a new virtual tabletop that looks really good. I'm going to be trying out with the next Kickstarter, which I'm going to, as soon as I get that up, uh, I'll be telling all you guys about it. So Until then. Uh, ha, base Raider, well, it's Base Raiders. It's going to be based on the Heroes of New York, Katie. Superhero dungeon crawling. Imagine doing a game where you're dungeon crawling through Superman's abandoned fortress of solitude. It's not just to get to loot but to shut down all the shit he left behind that's really really dangerous or dr oh, like, really a kryptonian war suit what's that gonna do it yeah. just sits there and if anyone is in it you kills a bunch of people yeah it's, exactly oh, or yeah. dr doom's castle like he didn't leave the stove on yeah but it's full of robot duplicates of himself you would think they would just take care of it yeah no they would yeah. while talking Those about doom themselves in the tr- third person let's trust the safety of the world to doom bots yeah because as doom makes no errors in his programming except except when he's and doing his plan like did I turn off the iron no it would be the doom turn like, off the iron. Th- then he activates the death ray maybe I should get a puppy okay <laughs> alright so that's the shout outs um, so oh, moving yes, on well, we got a couple letters um, first off we have from Joseph 
Uh, hi, I've always enjoyed your podcast. Appreciate the advice and entertainment it provides. I especially like the anecdotes. They're often crazy funny. Anyways, I'm an avid fan of role-playing in general, though there is much of a role-playing community where I live, and also my opinion. And I also might have a fair tale fair talent at writing it would seem to be a good idea for me to search a career in an area where my skills and interests intersect since our ppr is involved in role-playing publications uh many of the team members have experience in the field it seemed like a good idea to ask you guys an opinion on what is the best way to get started in this field i'm not dead set on this course of action uh but he's i've considered about a month now and i've wondered if you asked the rppr team for advice and guidance in this area um any response would be, be greatly appreciated i'm surely uh yeah so how do you get started in role-playing writing so that's kind of like right freelance writing anywhere else it's hard to do and it's got low pay so good job you just elbow your way through the crowd and hope you get somewhere um aim for the throat in general basically what i yeah how i got started is uh writing pdf only stuff uh, they're like if you go to our drive through RPG or RPGnow.com, you can go to play, you can find publishers that they just publish like cheap little PDFs, like hey, here's a short adventure, here's a little resource for your game, and so those pay really badly. But you know, uh, you it's don't about getting your name out. Yeah, it's about get, getting publication. So you do that um, to find places to work. Just look for publishers and look see if they have submissions policies. A lot of them do have submission policies. Uh, even if they don't, you can email them and ask them. Uh, and uh, then there are a couple of uh, like RPG.net has forums. There's a free gaming freelance section, and you can there are occasionally open calls. They're like, hey, we need writers to write about you know dungeons and discos. Hey, why not write for us? So uh, it'll pay half the a cent per word. Dungeon crawl of all time. A beholder on the dance floor. So what the the first pub book I did, Curriculum of Conspiracy, I literally just went to Shane Ivey, the publisher of Dream at Gen Con the first year I was there. It's like, hey, I want to write a book for you guys. Here's an idea I have. Like, all right, send us a proposal. I did, and then it went from there. So basically Network. There's not yeah, there's network. It's really like You gotta be the guy to be the guy. Freelance writing in any other sector like there's no there's no unique secret it's no it's not fundamentally different than freelance writing in any other type of field so like you get the writer's market book you get books you know magazines like that uh they'll have better advice on how to write query letters you know like hey i have this do you want how to write proposals um it's a professional thing so like if you can write freelance writing anywhere else it's no different from rpgs you're just writing about orcs instead of Mm. seo bullshit you know or I know that's I'm cynical. Ugh, I'm a monster. So um, Search that's very sucks. Yeah. So <laughs> the best thing you know, if you can go to a convention and talk to a bunch of publishers like Gen Con or Origins or something like that, that would be best. But if you can't, just email all of them and keep be persistent and uh, find ways to make sure people know your name. Yeah. I mean, the, if you if you, it's yeah that that's all I can say. Hello. So um, you t- you accepted my submission. Prepare to die. Prepare to publish. (laughs) All right. I thought mine was more accurate. All right, so next question. Uh, next letter. These, they've been building for a little while. Um, hello, RPBR. My name's Oren. I'm slowly, hello. Oren. I'm slowly <laughs> working my way through your archives after discovering the show through iTunes. So far, the show has been awesome. I finally got to an episode where it, which I had to respond. In fact, the episode you did asked for feedback. I'm sure the fact the episode was a Bildungsroman from July of 2011 will have no impact on the relevancy of what I'm about to say. Everything else has a really long lead time on it. I don't see yeah. why this would be any different. Uh, in that episode, you were discussing why so many systems go for a much slower advancement system than D&D, and I think I can help. First, it's important to note the difference between 
character growth and ability advancement. John Sheridan from Babylon 5, for example, at the end of the series, he's gone from being an Earth commander to de facto ruler of an independent space nation. Spoiler alert. Um, Aren't you supposed to say that before? It's for fucking Babylon 5. You're going to be spoiled by Babylon 5. You (laughs) Just get the fuck out, as Cody would say. (laughs) Uh, So, to not to mention lead a multinational feat against, well, is it really national? Uh, Interracial. Yeah, fleet against the Shadows and the Vorlons. Oops, spoiler. See, he did it too. He put it in parentheses there. Oh, oh, because other people do it. That makes it okay. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly how that works. I've never really got the whole social contract. Anyways, they, there's some definite character growth right there, but his abilities haven't changed that much. He was already a tactical genius when the show started. His tactic skills may be one or two ranks higher than it was at the start. Maybe he's pickled, uh, picked up a couple of low-level social skills, but that's about it. His character And very- a Minbari girlfriend. Okay. Uh, his character is very... Son of a bitch, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Did you watch the whole thing? Yeah. Oh, okay. Totally did. Top to bottom. Yeah. On TV. Nice. Wow. I remember, yeah, you used to like have to sit there at a particular time. Yeah, weird. Crazy. Um, so weird. his character is very different in terms of what he believes, but his actual abilities haven't changed much. Star Wars actually another example of slow ability growth. Realistically, Lane Luke's main advancement is a few ranks in lightsaber fighting, and that advancement mainly happens between films. And when when who knows how much time has passed? A few years, according to the extended universe, but that's neither here nor there. His force powers are a spe- special circumstance, something that was unlocked in quote marks by Yoda's training. Probably involved no character points at all. The other character is even more obvious. Han goes through a radical character chase. Uh, change selfish smuggler to rebel hero but nothing indicates his piloting or fighting abilities have drastically increased um i'm just gonna stop that right just saying, mm. i disagree like luke's gone through a fucking massive character growth because like he goes from being a farm boy to being a he badass goes, he Jedi. goes through the monomyth yeah exactly he does like become really fucking badass by the end of it um most people like they you walk can't into make the, the case with, for you can barely shoot a blaster they walk in the, the room with movie. darth vader and that's the end of what you're doing now but yeah i mean like, or did you fight come on did you see the fight between vader from empire to jedi yeah exactly vader kicked his ass that was a curb stomping yeah exactly cut his whole hand off yeah was, all of it the only reason why he wasn't because he is his dad so not just the it. fingertips the whole hand yeah so, like, I disagree with that. You could make the case for Han, though, because, mm-hmm. yeah, he's not, it really is a moral thing. So, uh, unless he was just buying off disadvantages. <laughs> That's what he was doing. <laughs> he was totally doing that. He spent it was his, really like, great to see the light bulb go off. He on top was of a your real, he, is, he was a badass from beginning to end, you know, still the equal of Luke by the end of the movies. So, he, like, was the, the dick, the kind of player who's like, I spent 500 points, all right, on disadvantages. So, I'm just this <laughs> super badass. Enemy, the hut. Enemy, you know, this guy. Moral. So just you're resolving his hooks and buying Yeah, yeah, he just, like, and... I, you just save all the, I bought off the hook di- uh, hut disadvantage. Oh, your friends can rescue you now. So that's that's what you do. So um, that's, yeah, oh my God, that totally makes sense. So, <laughs> uh-uh. yeah, if you think of character growth of getting rid of defects, that that's still, he does change that's quite a, a bit. Yeah. thing. Yeah. So, um that's not to say there aren't examples of characters gaining abilities extremely high speeds in media. Um, Captain America gets them pretty fast. Yeah. Um, so that kind of thing. Systems with a, a, a slow ad, uh, ability advancement, World of Darkness, Star Wars D6, Burning Wheel, usually have that way on purpose because it's more grounded in reality. Yep, because Star Wars is 
very grounded reality, as we know. Uh, they start easy- off as street level. Yeah, space magic. <laughs> and they're for easier to build a narrative around. Really, a lot of GMs don't want the players to go from newbies to ultimate immortal badasses in what turns out to be only a few months to a year of game time. It takes people years of work and training to achieve that level of skill. Players want to play such high-level characters. It makes more sense to start there rather than work one way uh Work your way up. So, also like the starting off at an epic level type game. Yeah, honestly though, I've never had a good experience with those. Like mm-hmm. where you start out as the ultimate badass. No, we don't. Yeah, I mean, because maybe, at that point, why would we go do anything? Yeah. Well, it seems like that's that almost leads into just yeah, let's just fuck around with our powers instead of oh, let's do some yeah character. And that kind of like leads to like if you can just fuck around with your powers, you get bored with it. Like mm-hmm. I like you I didn't just, earn that. Power. Well, even if you earn it, you get bored with it. Like I. Played through and beat Saints Row Three because of the Steam Summer Sale was like twelve bucks, mm-hmm. and like because of some of the DLC, you know, I had some crazy weapons to begin with. But you get crazy what? We- like the thing I didn't know is you get crazy weapons and vehicles even if you don't have the DLC. So I wouldn't have gotten like half the DLC because like like I got one DLC because it gives you a jet bike, but you get like two other jet bikes through the game. So like you blow up an aircraft, you, here. you don't even need that jet, yeah, uh, that particular jet bike. So like, um, but by the end of the game, I bought like immunity to almost all forms of damage yeah yeah you were saying yeah, yeah. you were saying you bought that thing where you're like notoriety just starts going down really fast yeah so you so. can kill anybody no one can kill you and even if you kill everybody they don't give a fuck it becomes it becomes the I shot you first game as a child. It's like no, you can't kill me. I kill you first. Well, the thing is, like, I just went out there and tried to start a, to get up to five stars against the gangs and the police, just so I could like see people die, just have my own personal pockets. I couldn't even do that. Like, <laughs> you couldn't get people to die for your amusement. I couldn't get people to try and kill me enough for my amusement. They were afraid of you. Yeah, yeah I guess. So, like, the, what's the point the of playing? Deception of powerful agents. Oh my god! <laughs> um, so, like, what's the point of playing after a certain? Like, after you've beaten Saint, all the missions in Saint Sorcerer, you got all the power. So basically, it's like if you start out at Epic, it's that. Yeah, but from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. So that's my experience. I mean, I'm sure there were people like, no, I started level 20, I'm not level 80 in D and D or whatever, and blah 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 blah. You're wrong. But you know, I don't know. I that's my experience. Yeah, but unless you start like plane jumping or something, I don't. I think in any game, you need to start with significant challenges and things your characters cannot do, because mm-hmm. you know, like regardless of what those things are, there have to be significant like challenges. You know, um, but because if there aren't, then you know, why are you playing? So. Um, and the game, to some point, has to be about over- overcoming those challenges. You know, whatever they are. You know, they could be totally story based. They could be like practical, mechanical. Um, so, anyways, uh, anyways, I hope that little excerpt from the past was at least entertaining, if not informed. Keep up the good work. So, oh, thank P.S. Thanks a bunch for reading that excerpt from the Fatal Review. I haven't laughed that hard in a while. Um, so that was that letter, and uh, finally uh, from Max. Hi, guys. I've been listening to your Hi. show and actual place for half a year now, and I love it. Thanks for doing them. It's very entertaining and helpful. I ran sessions as a GM now, Trail of Cthulhu and Call of Cthulhu. With my friends, I want to ask you advice on how to handle a particular type of player that I play with. Basically, each session he plays, and he becomes stuck a few times in a very specific manner, trying to make himself a safety cushion, consisting of cops or something like that. His favorite solution is, hey, there's obviously something, something dangerous here. Let's call the cops and see what happens um so so they're basically it's like having that robot to go and defuse the bomb except they're sending cops in to poke the threat with a well, stick well 
He's got some examples. All right. For example, we had we played against a small we we played against a small cult that wanted to launch a rocket into space. The big hoodoo adventure. After players understood what they needed to do to go and stop and launch, everyone decided to get a weapon. He wanted to get a sniper rifle. Uh, there was no sniper rifle in the t- Trail Cthulhu rules, but there was a Barrett elephant rifle. Well, after some discussion, I allowed him to get it. After his character was a soldier, knew how to handle a weapon, and he had some luck finding it. Uh, after the, with the fighting started, he stayed in the bushes a few hundred yards away, shooting the cultists. He failed his first shot and decided to move closer so that he would shoot better. Running through the grove, he failed his athletics check and fell down. And this happened four times in a row. Shoot, miss, try to get closer, fall down, repeat. On the fifth shot, he did something useful, but we were already laughing like crazy. And, of course, the players agreed to call the cops ahead uh, beforehand. Officers, communists are there, and they kidnapped a child and want to kill him. So the cops saved everyone. Um, Fucking commies. Yeah, exactly. Yesterday, we played the haunting scenario. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, including the Call of Cthulhu quick start rules. And decided after falling down through the floorboards and getting hurt, he decided he doesn't want to get hurt anymore on these rickety stairs leading to the baseboards. So they spent 20 minutes arguing about whether he could hire some workers that would install a new ladder. And can he call the cops because there might be something bad in the basement? <laughs> Deceiving them of the nature of badness, so as the cops would believe it. Yeah, I mentioned the floorboards so much. He mentioned the floorboards during so much during that time. I decided to give him a one d one one d four sanity roll because that was clearly a big mental trauma for his character. Um, yes, it was hilarious. And another uh, another player put it: Terry Pratchett meets Call of Cthulhu. Um, but it's not Call of Cthulhu anymore. Dangerous situation. Let's hire some guys to fix it, or call the cops and see what happens. Um, when he clearly starts metagame, I point that out, and he usually stops. But you know that doesn't always work, or that he just keeps going, uh, going back to that uh, behavior. That's that's his default thing. So what should he do? So uh, don't have people available. Well, that, one. that's once a blow up the police station. Yeah. Okay. So the one that, that, that's one. Or, or blow them, trap them underground for three months, or make the police complicit with the cult. The, all right, so that's one. Take that away. I mean, you can, but again, that's kind of like the thing. Same thing in the superhero game. If you have one player who's a telepath, and then like the bad guy's immune to telepathy, that's mm. that, that's okay the first time. The fifth time, or that he happens. Just, he just like, becomes the guy who cries wolf to the police. Well, well, actually, what I did was make the make the context to where they can't help. Like it's it's not like it wouldn't even be considered like going to help them. Like, mm. uh, for example, like the cult has a child hostage. Well, like. If you call the cops, the kid will get killed. Like, they'll either kill him or they won't be able to rescue him. Only the player's in a position to help him. Or, like, in the haunting scenario, here's what I would do. Let the cops come. Let them show up. They fucking die. The cops get murdered by the ghost in the haunting. <laughs> the PCs get blamed for it. Oh. So then they have to solve – or they, they get arrested for it. They get an integrate, but the, pe- the 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 police don't have evidence on them. So like they're like, well, what do we do? Well, the police let you go, but you're under investigation now. So don't leave town. So the PC's like, oh shit, we have to prove the house is haunted, or we're gonna be like either arrested and put on murder, or the police are just gonna run us out, or just gonna make our lives hell. So like now they've made it more difficult for themselves. So now they have to get the district attorney to believe the ghost story. So like that's the thing. Like now it's even worse. So like. 
you should always do a campaign to where it's it's about framing. I think I'm not going to acknowledge the existence of ghosts. I don't believe in them either. So we're not going to have a lot of a lot of malarkey about goblins and spooks and demons or stick to fact stick to the facts in this case. You have the ghost story for the kitties. That understood. Seems like an open-minded guy. Yeah, they call him the hammer. <laughs> All right. So, uh, See you in a couple of years. It's your first parole hearing. <laughs> They'll never take us alive. <laughs> All right. So that's we the forgot to do that. Yeah. Our conversation is nothing but movie quotes. That's true. We still have time to do that. No. So, um, we. Uh, so, anyways, I'm like, so it's about framing. Like, the idea is if you keep doing this kind of thing, set up the game so that calling for help won't solve it. Like, make, make it, it obvious. Yeah, make it obvious. Like, make it like the cult is going to kidnap these guys, but they're in international waters, or they're in some place where the police can't get to. Diplomatic community, or a diplomatic community, or (laughs) if the cops show up, they or make it clear that the bad guys have a snitch, you know, a mole in the police department. You know that, like, you know, there there are different ways, or just like it won't even, you know, if you think about movies, you know, the the guy in Taken, he calls the police, he tells them what happens. They're like, yeah, we can't do much. We don't know where it is. It's up to him to go. Besides, and get- you're Liam Neeson. Go and kill everybody. Yeah, basically. So like, um, the police can't do everything. So like, um, I mean, especially with a supernatural scenario. Yeah, it seems like calling the police is just a recipe for not good things. I mean, if he's like a serial killer who's just magically empowered, that's one thing. But they're not going to be able to stop him because they don't have the magic dagger of Yendor that's going to be able to stab him. Um, <laughs> Yendor. So yeah. Uh, or you could set like like have the cops show up and they don't find anything. Yeah. And then now you're crazy, and it's a boy that cries wolf. So it's it's they have you committed. The rest of the people have to break you out again. The idea is like look at good movies and thrillers and see how they deal with the police. And there's a million ways of doing it. So uh, again, you just have to keep coming up with reasons why. Like otherwise, the play. And, and the, that's the other thing is if the player fucking never stops doing that and bitches at you if you're like, oh god, oh the police can't do this, huh? Oh that's stupid, blah blah blah. Well then fucking don't game with him. Like he sounds like an asshole. Like. A little bit. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's a good player. He just doesn't realize he's doing that. Maybe he's just thinking with his real... Like, a lot of people just think with a real-world brain. It's like, if you see zombies, I call the police, you know? See? I never had one of those, and that's why that's never been a problem for me. There you go. So... Thinking um, hurts. Those are some of our little <laughs> Real-world? What? Um, so, finally, we have the anecdote. And um, the anecdote is, of course, going to be about uh, Star Wars Wild Talons. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I well, like- that, of course, Dad, if you have an anecdote, if you oh, want to... No, yeah. I was just going to sit here and chuckle. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, in Star Wars Wild Talents, it's the Ballad of Kevin Starchaser. And I'm basically... Dan's running Huh? Dan's running it. Yeah, Dan's running it. Um, he's back. He's only available one day a week, so this is what he's chosen to do, is to run Star Wars. Well, we all agreed, though. Yeah, yeah, no, we're all complicit in it. And Kevin is... <laughs> complicit in it like it's a crime. Yeah, uh, Kevin, some people think we're committing a crime against Star Wars, but, you know... I think we're improving upon it. <laughs> yeah, Kevin is good at blasters and not much else. And uh, that's, that's kind of I mean, it. And so I don't even... Like, in the last session... We had captured some bad guys, and we killed the bounty hunters. We freed one of their captives, and then decided to turn the other guy in for money to the to Sith. The Sith, yeah. Because hey, their 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 money spends as good as anyone else's. Making um, money, and, and so we spend like forty minutes talking about like whether we should do it or not. And when we show up, it's just like it, what what was amazing. We show up on Corsican, and there's like a fucking hundred stormtroopers outside officers and like 
Aaron's character apparently is a Mon Calamari, and they're fucking like shoot on ciders. Well, it's it takes place in the Legacy era, which is like the like 150 years after Star. Wars. Okay, so like, yeah, okay, whatever. Anyways, the, the, <laughs> things Ross cares about, not one of them. Yeah, they're <laughs> the idea is he can't go, show up. He can't just be like, hey guys, what's going on? Because they'll they'll shoot him or arrest him or, or whatever for whatever reason. So he has to hide out, but like. The Sith Lord, like, David blows his lie check. Like, uh, you only got one of the two. We know that, okay, you killed the bounty hunters. Well, we don't care about that. But you're only turning one of the two captives. What happened to the other one? Oh, she got away. Well, like, wait, weren't you on a ship? How did that happen? Like, how did, where'd she come from? Yeah. We're in space. Yeah, where did she go? Like, you weren't, well, anyways. Can we? Sh- well, can we search your ship? I'd rather you. Did. He didn't say no. Like, I'd rather you didn't. Yeah, and that's the first thing. Is what the nah. Sith is asking permission to search, nah. and they're like, nah. And they're like, okay. Yeah, the Sith then uses his Sith fucking power, space magic, his brain fuckler. Power. Yeah, he, yeah, he's brain fuckling, and he's like, you have a Mon Calamari in there, and that's Look. the race of the the one captain that's missing. Like yeah, well that well then you know that guy's a male and the captain's female. I was like, well, like why doesn't the Sith go in there? Like what blew my mind was Dan had recognized the bureaucracy of running the Empire would eventually even overwhelm the Sith, and the Sith could be like, yeah, I could kill those guys, but I have to fill out more paperwork. <laughs> it's just not worth it. <laughs> Fuck it, I want to go to Callahan's and get drunk, you know, <laughs> on space booze. Like that's the other shocker. thing is like. Fucking science fiction. You can't call, like, tobacco tobacco. It's tobacco. And booze is synthahol or whatever. I mean, like... <laughs> you, it's booze. I just went on this whole rant of, like, I'm just admiring how bureaucracy is a, more powerful than the force. <laughs> and that, that I thank Dan for running that. And then, um, what was your favorite... So, I've been talking about it. Like, what was your favorite part of that? So? Well, of course, I know the story's been told, but I had a character in Star Wars who went to go gamble. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in Matt's game, you 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 were really good, and you the the mechanics for that were really broken. So you made lots and lots of money. I know that's been a previous. You weren't so lucky this time, though. No, I wasn't. I didn't lose a lot, but yeah. I was bull- I I was down. Yeah, and it actually made a lot more. It was a lot like more like actual gambling. Yeah, so that was pretty awesome. Um, and I may I yelled at Dan to name things for my amusement. <laughs> Uh, what's the name of that space station, Dad? And he he came up with a good name for it right on the spot. And then uh, what's the name of that guy? And Aaron wanted Dad? Aaron wanted to stay on the ship to avoid plot. God damn it, Aaron! <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Aaron! Like, no, we need to leave now. We uh, we're the, like we're doing stuff. Yeah, exactly. But I've so. got a kill order on all of me again. Yeah, exactly. And and what it came down to is like in two hours, I rolled like one roll to seduce a bar wench or cocktail waitress. That was it. And uh, everyone, David, David played music. At David a bar. played music, and now he has to play for four nights to pay off the debt to the huts that he somehow incurred. Um, and now we know the guy we did turn in; his buddies are coming to kill us. And so we just tell the hut security team, like, "Yeah, they, these guys are coming to kill us." So you're calling the police? Yeah, basically, <laughs> it'll all work out. We'll find out next <laughs> session, whenever that is. But the whole thing, like, it was great because we just argued with each other all the time, and like, we spent half the time like doing. A good team would. Yeah, like, but like in a good it's like way, Seinfeld in, in space. We Dan didn't have to do anything; he just had to show up and say Star Wars, and we just bitch at each other. <laughs> uh, like, we are a mildly dysfunctional family it's in really, space. It's really, what happens with any group of nerds? Yeah, just say Star Wars at them; something bad will happen. God damn it, fucking Star Wars! Um, <laughs> so fucking prequels. Ugh. 
So that was uh, a game that will be on the ransom for the uh, next Kickstarter or in the preview. It is episode. so wonderful. It is. And uh, you will love it. So, um, Thad, you are the guest and uh, you're going to be leaving soon. Yeah. Uh, so do you have any final words for our listeners? Uh, I mean, they'll still be hearing you over the actual plays. Yeah. Like the a ghost long of, time. The ghost of me will continue to haunt your hard drive. Yeah, basically. Many a moon. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh been nice hanging out with you guys. <laughs> like you're going to stop. I'll miss you all so <laughs> You'll be back. Yeah, I will. All right. So, uh, Thanks that, for having me. Yeah. Know? So they're probably, hopefully by the time uh, you get back, you'll be, we, we, we haven't run out of your episodes and we'll be able to post them even more. So. Excellent. I realized by the time you get back, we'll be just about ready for Gen Con 2013. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know when I'll be back. I can't make any promises. All yes, right. you can. Yes, make promises. Make promises for our listeners now. All right, yeah, I'll be at Gen Con. Sure, why not? Yeah. I'll just I'll, I'll break that promise and blame Ross somehow. It'll God be fine. All right, yeah, I am a monster. Yeah. So. Ross, Ross, don't give a fuck. He makes us say these things. <laughs> you shut up now. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Ross is a brain fuckler. Uh, you really like saying that. I you? really do. Okay. All right. Uh, hopefully your brain has been fuckled enough uh, with this episode. So this has been RBPR episode 76, GM with a thousand plot hooks. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Brain fuckler.